If you would open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at a few more verses here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. As we read this, I want us to remember what we have heard in the weeks past because I really don't want us to look at these verses like out of the other verses we've already gone through, the things that we've already read. It is very important that we kind of see this theme working through all of these passages. They're not disconnected in any way. And I'm not going to go back to the beginning. I just want to go back to the previous chapter in verse 3. Paul starts off that, ver that verse in verse 1. He starts off there just like he does in this passage we're looking at this morning. He tells them to rejoice in the Lord. But then the very next verse, he starts telling them in a few places in between, all throughout chapter 3, he says, but beware of the dogs. Beware of those Judaizers that are going around preaching legalism and all that kind of stuff. Beware of those guys that are doing that. And he points them to the reason why we should not get so worked up about our circumstances or the, what these guys are doing because we have the hope of the resurrection coming. We have the hope of eternal life coming. And he's basically saying, don't lose sight of that, whatever circumstances you're in. Look towards that. Remember what Paul said in verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. He wants to know that. Know is an intimate word. It's just not a knowledgeable word. It's like he intimately wants to know God, and he wants to experience the power of his resurrection. And so he's pointing them to the future. Whatever is going on in that church, in that area at that time, he's saying, don't lose sight of that. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We are not Philippians. And remember we talked about how they were really prideful about being Philippians because they were a Roman colony. They had all the, all the benefits of being, living in Rome itself there in Philippi. And so they were really proud of that. But he was saying, man, your citizenship is in heaven. And because of that, we are ambassadors. We, we live differently. We hope on different things than what the Romans can provide for us. And so he's pointing that and then in verse 4 I mean in chapter 4 verse 1 he says with all of that in mind rejoicing in the Lord the the difficulties of the people coming and going trying to persuade you of, of, of things that are otherwise biblical that are not biblical at all of, of knowing that we are going to experience the resurrection eternal life with the father knowing that we are citizens of ship he says stand firm and then last week we looked at a passage and you know, this is, this, you know, it's a really, some people might say, wow, two verses, how, you know, that's, that, how can you get much out of that? This is huge because think about in chapter three, he's going, these are the problems, these outside people are coming in trying to mess things up. But here in verse two, he says, ladies, man, can y'all like turn it down a notch? Can y'all like not be so worked up about whatever? We don't know what they were worked up about, but he was, he was urging them to live in harmony, to be unified together. And he goes so far in chapter 3, and this is something I want us to catch. He go, I mean, verse 3, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, he goes so far as to talk to the true companion. Do you see that in there? He, say, he talks about even you, the true companion, help these ladies out. So he's talking about a third party getting involved. And what that means for us is that when we see things going on within the church, it's not just their job to get over it. It's our job to get in the middle of it. It's our job to help out, to point them, not to rules and bylaws and, and all that kind of stuff, but to point them to Christ. 
We need to come alongside each other in, in, this, in this place. And even in other churches, as we work with them and as they're in our neighborhoods or whatever, we need to get involved in the messiness of life when we see our brothers and sisters just not living Christ-like. And so he's saying, get in there and help them. And then he says this in, in, in the passage we're going to look at now. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you will set aside my own thoughts and opinions about this and you would clearly help us to focus in on your nuggets that you want us to walk out of here with, those nuggets of truth that we can apply in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us clearly as to what you want us to take away from this passage this morning. In light of all that Paul has said, help us to better understand what we can walk out of here with this morning in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we look at this, there's another thing I want us to consider, not just from chapter 3 onward and, getting, and making sure we know how, where Paul is going in this writing, but I want us to just know, and I'm sure most of us might know this, but I want us to be very clear where Paul came from all these years. He's... He, he's Paul's been through some difficult times, right? He's been through some crazy times. And, and if you'll just look over to 2nd, hold your place here and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes these verses. It's just about 20 years after he came to faith when he had the, the, the experience on the Damascus Road of encountering a living Christ. When he, had that, when he writes Corinthians here, it's about a 20-year gap, give or take a year or two in there. So you can imagine, okay, that sounds like a long time to some people, to some of us. That's not that long ago. But, but anyway, there's a 20-year gap in here. And this is what he writes of his experiences starting in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, starting in this, uh, verse 23. Look at the back half, the 23b, if you would. In far more labors... In far more imprisonments, beaten times without the number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers from city dwellers. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for the churches. Now here's the question I want to ask you. How many of us have had those kind of experience over the last, let's say, our 20 years or whatever? Nobody in this room can say they've had those kind of experiences. 
over a 20-year period, you see he's documented all of these things that have happened, and yet this is the man that is encouraging a church, rejoice in the Lord. You got to put that with that. You just can't disconnect that and say, well, you know, Paul had, man, he was traveling around. He was seeing the sights. He was with churches all over the place. Because a lot of us think, man, if we could just travel around and visit churches and go to different countries and be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and oh, man, that would be just a great experience. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, it was. It is a, as, 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 as we lived overseas for those 14 years, it was wonderful to interact with brothers and sisters in different churches in different parts of the world. It, but we never went through near anything like he did Paul over that 20 years he is saying now to the Philippians rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice if you remember back in chapter 3 verse 1 he says to rejoice in the Lord and I don't mind telling you that this is kind of my, my own way of saying it I don't mind telling you this over and over again I don't mind keep repeating myself rejoice in the Lord and here he actually repeats himself Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Now none of us, especially in his experiences, can muster up joy. There is none of us that in and of ourselves can muster up rejoicing. We can't, I mean, we might be able to put on a hat for a little while and say, you know, thank God I'm having all these different difficulties, or, or as I go through these difficulties, thank you, Jesus, and all that. But if we're not rejoicing, and the key here is in the Lord, we're going to miss out on what he's talking about here. It is in the Lord that we rejoice. Jesus actually talked about this back in John chapter 15. Again, hold your place there. Turn over to John chapter 15 with me. We're going to look at a verse, and then we're going to go back maybe and see what he was talking about here. But in John chapter 15, in verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Now think about that. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus is telling these things I've been talking about so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full, complete. Put in whatever, you were, whatever word you want there, but that your joy may be overflowing. And so here he's saying that, but so what were these things he was just talking about? As you look back into the previous verses, you could, I mean, if you wanted to read starting in verse 1, you could. But I want you to just look at some of these key verses I pulled out here. In verse 4, abide in me and I in you. In verse 5, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me, my words will abide in you. In verse 9 into verse 10, he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's this, he keeps going back to this thing about abiding in him and he in us. And if that's taking place, then his love is in us, his word is in us. Okay, so, but, but, but remember, it's not just so that he, he can be in us or his word can be in us. Verse 11, what did it say? So that you may get, have my joy and that your joy may be made full. It is in the abiding of Christ that we can have this type of experience, no matter what our circumstances is. 
Paul put that to the test in his 20 years when he was going through all of those difficulties that he documented, and then he turns around, not just, and he does it to several people. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We cannot experience what God wants for us. The joy that we could be experienced, we cannot muster it up enough in whatever circumstances. we. I spoke with Dennis last night when he finally got the call to come to the hospital. And you know, I remember a, a couple of months back, some of you are aware that I sent out a prayer because, hey, pray for this guy. He's going to the hospital, and it didn't work out too well that time because of the, there were complications with the lungs that he was going to be getting. But that last night when I was talking to him on the phone, he was calm, he was excited, he was ready to get in there and get this done, and even, you know, even to the point of, you know, whatever happens, I'm good. Now, I don't know about it, and I've, 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 been in, I've been in rooms with people that are about to go have surgery. I have been the one who is going in and get surgery. There is some anxiety in going into and getting knocked out. Now, I actually enjoy getting knocked out. That's the best kind of sleep I've ever gotten in my life. I, I enjoy going in and having surgery. I say enjoy, not like I would pecan pie, but I enjoy, I can, I can deal with having surgeries because I don't mind getting knocked out and ha- getting a good night's rest because as I get older, the less and less sleep I get as far as a, a good night. But going in surgery, no matter what that is, can be crazy. It can be anxious. It can be worrisome. There can, there can be all sorts of things that goes through a person's mind. There's been many times I have gone into a room and prayed with people before they go have surgery, and man, they are just on the end. They're ready to go off the cliff with worry. And the people around them aren't helping. They're crying. They're going, oh, what if they don't come out of it? Listen, that's the last thing people need to hear before they go in there. But Dennis, last night, double lung, this this is serious stuff, double lung transplant. He was going, you know what, man, if it's my time, it's my time. He was actually, you know, he was was sad because someone had to die for him to get what he wanted, what he needed. But he was so looking forward to being able, and you know what he's looking forward to? Yeah, he's looking forward to breathing better. He's looking forward to being able to spend time and do things with his family. But what he's really looking forward to is getting back in that pulpit and preaching the gospel. That's what he's looking forward to. Man, that's rejoice in the Lord. If he was not in the Lord, I can guarantee you he would be going back there worried that he would not be coming out of that. But for him, he said, man, this is just, this is me for the day. And tomorrow's going to be a new day. And the next day is going to be a new day. And whatever happens, you know, I'm going to do what I know that the Father wants me to do. How many of us can say in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in that no matter what it is, we are going to rejoice not because of the circumstances and not because we're just a happy-go-lucky person, but that we are certain about our relationship with the Father, that we know that Christ is there for us. Because if we know that and we look out on the horizon and we see eternity and that's what, and and of course in Romans, you've heard me say this before, the sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. That is something to look forward to, not something to avoid. And we don't want to leave this world. I'm going to, if I had to leave this world, I would miss a lot of things. But I am looking forward to the day when I can stand before the Father. I am looking forward to the day when I get my new body. I am looking forward to the day when I can stand before the guys who were monumental in my life and say thank you. I am looking forward to that day. 
And if we have our eyes on the horizon thinking about that, what can the world bring our way to keep us from being able to rejoice in the Lord? In 20 years of the stuff that Paul went through, nothing could keep him because he's preaching it even now. He's still preaching it. Years after he wrote Corinthians, he writes Philippians, like five years later, I believe, somewhere in there, and he's still writing, Rejoice in the Lord. And so we need to kind of check ourselves when we get all so worrisome. And look, look at what it says now. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Or some of your translations might say, let your moderation, let your gentleness, let your reasonableness, let your, your, your forbearance, let your... Uh, there's a lot of different words in there, but basically it is saying, if, if, they, if this is the case, if you are rejoicing in the Lord, you're aware of your future, you know that it's out there, that you've got it coming, that, that this is what's going to happen when, you're, when you're, you're, you're gone from this world... If you know that's the case, then he said, be gracious. Basically, he's saying, be gracious towards others. Be gentle towards others. Be forbear towards others. Be reasonable towards others. No matter where they are. Remember, like, in, in back in chapter 3, he says, imitate me and imitate those that are among you. He's talking about, uh, he's not talking about live exactly like Paul, but he's saying, imitate the pursuit that we have for Christ. Imitate that. Here, if we are imitating, if we are pursuing Christ the way Paul pursues Christ, if we are pursuing Christ the way Epaphrodites and Timothy are pursuing Christ, if we're pursuing Christ in that way, then we are in Christ. Because again, we can't pursue Christ. We can't pursue that without being in Christ. We, we are, Christ in me compels me to pursue Christ. If I just try to, and believe me, for years before I was a Christian, I tried to muster up good works. I could do some good things and get patted on the back, but it did not help me at all in the eyes of God. I did all sorts of wonderful, people thought I was Christian for years and years. And I remember after I came to faith and, 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 and was working with teenagers or working with youth, or especially when I went off to seminary, people were... People always thought I was a Christian. They never knew that on November 21st, 1982, that was the day that I came to faith when I was 22 years old. That was the day that Christ got a hold of my heart. That was the day when he started transforming my thinking. And it was on that day is when I started pursuing him. I wasn't pursuing him before. I was pursuing good works. I was just trying to be good to others but I knew in my heart, as I look back, I knew in my heart that I was still selfish. I was still wanting to do things that would please me more than please Christ. I wasn't going to put myself out very much for others if I had to spend my own personal capital on others. I was not about to do that. But if I could do a good thing and get patted on the back, if I could do some good things and get some accolades, get, a, get some kind of a certificate saying, oh, he was a good, good old boy or whatever, man, I would do that. But it's saying here, we need to be gentle towards others or gracious towards others. The Lord is near. Now this idea of the Lord is near, is that time or space? And I, I hear people all the time, well, is that, is that, is that is it second coming or is that that his presence is, and I just say yes. It's both. Yeah, the second coming, Jesus is coming back, right? 
Jesus is on the, we don't know when that's going to happen, and we need to be ready for that, but we don't need our attention to be totally on that and forgetting all the things that he's called us to do around it. We need to be walking, knowing that in the future, this is going to happen. He's going to come back in his own time, in the time that the Father has designated, that no one knows, and even Jesus said, I don't even know. So in time, yes, the Lord is near. Wait a minute, man. I've, I've been hearing that since, you know, I've been reading books where people have been saying that for years. But I want you to give us perspective of eternity. Let's just say on the end of this stage down here, that's the beginning of time. And, and, and just a few, about a foot inward, you know, that's the birth of Christ. And then just a little bit, and then somewhere out here is, 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 is us. That's, when, that's, that's our life today. I mean, this is a this this. If we use that, this is a long time, and this goes on to eternity in the future. Man, the Lord is near. Whenever He comes, the eternity is going to far surpass whatever time Earth has been here. Eternity future is going to far surpass any time. So yeah, the Lord is near. Is He going to come in my lifetime? I don't know. He might not. But I'm going to live my life as if He is coming soon. And what does that mean? That means, man, the urgency of being able to tell other people about him and his coming we got we got to we got to let that urgency get deep within us or we will just we will never be able to be what christ wants us as a body of christ in this community of seeing urbana come to faith we will never be able to do what god wants us to do if we don't sense that urgency because we will just kind of be thinking hey you know i might not do it today i'll do it sometime next week and we know if we keep putting it off we never do it whether it's sharing the faith, whether it's starting discipleship, whatever it is that you need to do wherever you are in this journey, if you're not doing that, listen, the Lord is near, and he can be coming right, right now. And it might be well past your lifetime, but we need to live as if knowing he is coming soon. But presence, he's also near. Presence. His presence is near. As a matter of fact, there's a verse, I'll just read it to you, in uh, Matthew 24 32 and 33 this is jesus talking to the disciples and he actually uses kind of these two things now from the fig tree learn this parable as soon as its branches becomes tender and sprouts leaves you know that summer is near he uses the same word near there as he did the lord is near so summer is near that's time right summer is near time in the same way when you see all these things know that he is near he is at the door so in that one verse, Jesus is saying, time and presence is near. All right? So we, got, we have to live practicing. This is the term that I, I, I heard long ago, and I use it all the time. We need to be practicing the presence of Christ in our lives every step of the way. We can't just go out there and try to do things on our own. Believe me, he is there. The Spirit is within us. The Father sees all things. We will not be able to hide anything, even our motives, our, our intentions, or anything. We will not be able to hide anything. He knows all things. So the Lord is near. And then he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I want you to, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a couple of, uh, one passage here because we, go to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 6 if you would this is Jesus he's on he's of course he's on the uh, talking to all these people he's up on the mount there he's, he's, he's doing all this teaching and stuff and he goes through about 
ten, nine or ten verses. It's uh, ten verses, uh, starting in verse 25. And we're all familiar with these verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read one, one verse out of this. But, but, he's, but, but in these ten verses, he uses this same word, anxious or worry. He uses the same word five times. And in this one verse, he says this. And who of you, by being worried or anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Now, if you look at a more of a direct translation, it uses a term, can add a cubic to his span, or his, what is, it, what is the word that they use there? Add a cubic to his stature. That's the word. Adding a cubic to his stature. Now, what is a cubic? Well, you know, this is not, a, it's like from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. How many of you would love to add this much to your stature? Okay, there you go. That's an honest man right there. Heck, I would. I could have probably been, well, I doubt I would have been in NBA, NBA because if everybody went from here to here, they'd be, I'd still be like where I am with everybody else, right? But he's saying, how, how many of you worry about this? Can, can worry about the, these things will add this much height to your height? We know that's, that's, that's silly. No, none of us can worry about that or can add time to your lifespan. We know that doesn't happen. When we die, we're dead. And we're all going to die unless, the, unless Jesus comes back and then we're caught up with him, right? So the worrying part here, he's just saying, do not be anxious. Well, how do we, how do we get over that? I mean, if we're, if we're pursuing Christ, if we're in Christ and, 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 and we can rejoice in the Lord, anxiety is one of those things that's probably not going to affect us so much. But that doesn't mean there are things around us that we're not going to be concerned about. There's going to be things that happen. There's, right now... Dennis's wife is sitting in that hospital, and she is probably not clapping and singing praises right now. She is probably praying, and she is begging God. And that's exactly what this verse says next. Look at it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's just saying, man, do not let worry control you. Bring that to the Father. Lay that before Him. Bring it. Talk about it. Pray about it. Supplication there is that word for begging. It is, it, it, how, many, how many times have we just begged for stuff on our knees before the Father? I mean, I'm, I've asked, you know, aggressively before, oh, God, man, I really need. I mean, I'm not talking about I need an A on that paper. When I know I deserve a D, I need an A on that paper. That's, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about in certain situations in our life, you know, we do tend to pray, you know, God, I don't know what I'm going to do about these bills coming up. I just don't have the money. What am I going to do? I need wisdom. You know, and you go before the boss. But how, 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 how is that? Is that urgent? Is that like begging for wisdom or is it passive? Is it just a part of your morning where you get up, you know, God, I got a day coming up ahead of me. Man, I don't know how I'm going to be paying these bills. Sure would like some help. And then you just go on about your day. This is talking about not just that passive prayer kind of thing. This is talking about getting on your knees, even on your face before the Father and begging. Not just for, not just for something to be fixed, but how are you going to respond to it? What are you going to do in the midst of whatever circumstances you're in? Get on your face before the Father and beg. Bring it before Him. Because, listen, you can come to, you can come to me and we can talk about it. You can go to your community group and you can talk about it. And, and, and those are wonderful things. I encourage you to do that. You can go to your parents. You can call, I still call my mama up to this day. She's not a Christian, but there are things I ask her. Hey, how did you make those biscuits? I still kind of ask her questions about things that I'm struggling with at, at times. And so I go to my mama even and ask her questions. 
get wisdom from her, from her experiences and all that. But none of this, my mama, the pastor, the community group, nobody is going to be able to bring you this anti-anxiety medicine that prayer and going before the Father will. It just won't happen. If you're trying to find answers through man, it's just not going to happen. Because many times, when people do come to me and share some difficult things going on in their life, there's been many times when I'm saying, man, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what to tell you. All I know is, and then I share things like this, don't let this get interfere with your walk with God. Go before the Father. Let the Father. Let's pray right now, and let's pray that the Father will speak to us. Let's ask Father to, I want to I sense your presence in my life, Father. I, don't, I want some wisdom, Father. I want to I know how I'm supposed to respond in this difficult time, Father. I don't want to be worrisome and anxious and let that control me. So, God, can you help me out in the midst of this? And there you are pursuing him. And you're not pursuing your own answers. You're not pursuing man's ideas. You're pursuing him and what he has for us. As a matter of fact, there, there, there is another passage that, or another verse that, uh, Paul actually wrote these similar things to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, you don't have to go there. Uh, m- most of you probably know these verses. But if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you look at verses 16, 17, and 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Those verses say something like this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. You hear that? Rejoice always. Always. Pray without ceasing. Always. All right? Give thanks in everything. Always. It never stops. Do all those things. And then right after that it says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That is the will of God for each one of us. To rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. And when it says pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean you have to get on your knees, close your eyes, bow your hands, you know, all this kind of, and do that 24-7. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying never give up on praying. Never give up on going before the Father and taking your cares to Him. Never. Don't buy into man's ideas. Don't listen to these guys who are coming into the church telling you, well, your problem is is that you're not circumcised. Or your problem is, is you're not looking out for these dietary laws that we, we think are important still today. The problem is, is you're not recognizing these festivals. That's your problem. So if you start doing those things, then all these troubles will go away. Well, we know that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen like that. That's man's wisdom trying to legalize what God has given us, and, and we need to pursue Him. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. Rejoice always. Those are, those are the verses that are similar to what we see right here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So it's talking about praying and giving thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. 
You see, Paul's not just uniquely pulling something out and saying, okay, Philippians, why don't y'all try this? He's telling the same things to the, 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 the Thessalonians. And he says the same thing to us. Is that we do not need to come up with a new strategy, a new plan, a new idea. Listen, we can't reinvent this wheel. This is what works. And Paul keeps telling people this, and we need to buy into this. Rejoice. Pray. Be thankful. In whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, pursue Christ. Because Christ in us allows us to experience an eternity with him and no matter what happens in this place no matter what happens in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in that's what we have to look forward to john mahan and i were at a conference this past week and we heard a speaker up there talking about he had a friend who was a kentucky basketball fan now i don't watch basketball so much i wait till march madness before i get into it but he's but i do know there's some pretty rabid basketball fans out there and he said his friend was a really good, you know, all-in basketball fan. And what he, he, he records every game. He doesn't get to watch them because of his work schedule many times. But he records every game. And he deletes the ones that he finds out they lost. And he sits down and only watches the one that they win. And he says one of the things that he likes to do is when they're behind in a game or something like that and they're going down the court and they think, oh man, they're about to go up eight. He pauses it and he goes, man, what do we got to worry about? Or, that, or, or he said at one time there was a last second shot and the guy was getting ready and he was taking the shot and if this team had won this, if they had made this shot, they would have won the game. And the ball's in the air and he pauses it while the ball's in the air and he's going, I wonder what's going to happen. He already knows what's going to happen, right? So he's not worried at all. He's not anxious at all. He's just, he's just kicking back and enjoying the game. And you know, it's honestly, to a certain extent, we can be the same way. Knowing what we have to look forward to, we don't need to worry about. We don't, let, we don't need to let worry control us. We don't need to let man make us worry, put systems or things in place that cause us to worry. We don't need to do that because... Paul is pointing us to the Father. He is saying, rejoice in the Lord. Abide in Him so that His joy may be in us and our joy may be made full. Pursue Him. Don't let anxiety get to you. Don't be anxious about these things. Pursue Him in prayer and supplication when you're begging and thanksgiving. Pursue Him. And then he says in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or surpasses all understanding. In other words, we can't get it. We don't know how to tell, we don't even know how to talk about this. We don't know. It, it, it surpasses our, man, how in the world in these difficult times can we experience peace? It surpasses all understanding. It says that this peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds, what? In Christ Jesus. Again, he goes back to in Christ we will experience peace that no one will be able to explain. No one can fully understand it. Matter of fact, way back in Isaiah, you can write this verse down, Isaiah 26.3 if you want. Isaiah 26.3, it says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let me read that again. You... Keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
This peace is not just something we can go out digging for. It's not like gold we can dig for. It's not like, it's, it's, it's not anywhere to be, it's not like a box we can open up or a bottle we can open up or, or any of that. We can't find this peace anywhere. Where is it? It is in Christ Jesus and in Him alone. And let me just say this. I, I used to be a guy who would go to church and I was not, I did not have a relationship with the Father. I was not a, I might have believed, I believed in God. I believed that the Bible was the Word of God. I believed in most of what the pastor would say up there when I was sitting in church during those years. But I did not put my faith in Jesus Christ. I did not say this is what the Father has offered. And we, we are, one of the songs up here talks about, we, we, is the world broken? It is. Listen, we live in a messed up, broken world, and that's not the way God designed it. That's not the way he designed this world. He designed a perfect world where man could live in harmony with each other, with him, with creation. But man decided they wanted to do things their way, not God's way. Man decided that they wanted to do things their way, not God's way. And when they did that, when they disobeyed God, they were separated from God because sin cannot be in the presence of the Holy Father. They were separated from the Father. But God didn't just leave them there. He had compassion on them. And he come up with a plan. He already had this plan from eternal past that he was going to send his son, Jesus Christ, who was going to live a perfect life and was going to be that perfect lamb to go in our place, to die on a cross, to take our sins and to take death to that cross. And he died on that cross. And he was buried. And in three days, he came back to the Father, resurrected him. And at that point, sin and death was defeated. And all we have to do, the Scriptures tell us, is that if we believe... That he, if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If we believe that, we can have hope. We can have peace. We can rejoice in all circumstances. I went through this week and I was looking at a few things here and I just typed in a... Bible app thing I have in Christ. And I wanted to see what words would come up. And I just want you to hear about some of these. This is, this is not all of them. I mean, there were boatloads of, but I'd be up here reading for a long time and we don't, we don't need to do it. But this is enough to get us a taste of in Christ, what do we, in Christ we have joy, we have peace, we have hope. In Christ we are set free. In Christ we are triumphant over sin and death. In Christ, we are redeemed. In Christ, we are approved. In Christ, we are justified. We are sanctified. We will be glorified. In Christ, our salvation, we have our salvation. In Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, our needs are provided. In Christ, we are brought near to God. In Christ, we are part of the family of God. In Christ, bless, we are blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In Christ, we experience the riches of his grace extended towards us, and man, I could just go on and on and on. Any of those things sound bad? Any of those things sound like, yeah, I'm not interested? Listen, in Christ, 
We have access to all of that and so much more. So friends, Paul, I, I, I just believe he's stepping into a church he loves here and he's sharing some things with them. He's try, still trying to teach them from a distance. He's, he's, and he's telling them, out of all the things they just talked about, Beware of those dogs who are coming in and messing with you. And even on the inside, those people who are stirring it up and having problems with each other, man. Ignore those guys. Get in the middle of this one. Help them come together. Because our hope is out there. Nothing can keep us from that. There is nothing the enemy can do to us to keep us from experiencing eternal life in a resurrected body. There's nothing he can do. But what he wants to do is to keep us seated here on Sunday mornings and not do anything the rest of the week. That's what the enemy wants to do. And if we don't pursue him throughout the week in our workplaces, if we don't pursue him in our homes, if we're not pursuing him in our neighborhoods, if we are not being obedient to him and what he has called each one of us to do, we are doing exactly, think about this, we are doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Man, don't let the enemy... There is nothing that enemy can do when we are in Christ and we are taking not just these things that we have, but we are walking with him and pursuing him and being obedient to him. There is nothing the enemy can do to keep us from honoring the Father with everything that we think and say and do. And so let's pursue Christ and Christ alone. As we go through our days, our weeks, our months ahead, Let's pursue Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you saw fit to invite me into your presence, into your family. You saw fit to add me to the fam your family, Father. And so, Father, my my prayer of thanksgiving is that thank you but Father help me help me not to live a selfish life help me to recognize my place as I stand before you help me know that you what you want for me and my family and my neighbors and, and my church and Father help me in the association of churches I serve, help me, Father, and in, 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 in how I still have my eyes on the nations and desire to see unengaged, unreached peoples out there hear your name for the first time, maybe. I Help me, Father. I don't know how to do all that. But what I do know, Father, is that each one of us here, myself included, can take each step with you, knowing that the, this will frustrate the enemy, and this will lead to your glory. So help us, Father, pursue you to be in Christ in all things, to rejoice, to abide in you so that our joy may be made full and that we may experience the peace that we cannot understand, but it is only found in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.